0: We'll be in Psalm 23, verse 3, but let me read the whole psalm, and then we will dial in on verse 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to focus in on the end of verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you scan through the statements of President Abraham Lincoln, you will find a man who experienced some very dark times. At the beginning of the war between the states, Lincoln was resolute, he was confident. And you see this in his inaugural address on March 4th, 1861. This is what he announced, the mystic chords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone. All over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union. And then a little over a year into the war, on June 28, 1862, his rhetoric started to get tempered a little bit, but he was still firm. And uncompromising. He said, I expect to maintain this contest until successful or till I die or am conquered. And then that's the point at which the darkness began to settle in for Lincoln. He experienced a devastating defeat at Manassas in Virginia, and this is where he first began to worry and to doubt his cause. Listen to what he said. This is in August of 1862. Well, we are whipped again. I am afraid. What shall we do? The bottom is out of the tub. The bottom is out of the tub. And then the next months and years for Lincoln were marked by near constant, near constant faith-shaking darkness and despair. In December of 1862, after another devastating defeat, he said, if there is a worse place than hell, I am in it. And then in May of 1863, after another defeat at Chancellorsville, he said, my God, my God, what will the country say? And then finally in 1864, this is where he just kind of hit rock bottom. He said, the war is eating my life out. I have a strong impression that I shall not live to see the end. hard seasons in life usually take on a slow progression of darkness. You know, we start off very resolute in a hard season. Resolute, faithful. God's gonna carry me through this. And then as the months and maybe even years go on, it can give way to faith-shaking darkness. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. And the question is not, how can I get out of this hard season of life? That's not the question. The question is, why can I persevere? Why can I persevere through this hard season, however long it may last? Why can I persevere? First, because of God's leading. Because of God's leading. David says, he, God, leads me in paths of righteousness. And this this raises two questions underneath the umbrella of God's leadership. Two questions. Number one, why do I need to be led by God? And then second, what is the nature of God's leading in our lives? All right, so first, why do I need to be led by God? David wrote this psalm. Before he was king of Israel, he was a shepherd. So he has firsthand experience of being a shepherd and leading sheep. And that's why in the psalm, you'll see a ton of shepherding imagery. Now, how does David as shepherd Speak into verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, Philip Keller, who was also a shepherd for many years, writes this little little book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and it's incredibly insightful and helpful. And he makes this comment. He says that sheep are notorious for being creatures of habit. He says, they, they will walk on a, the same trail over and over until it's a deep rut. He said, they will graze on the same exact hill until it's a desert wasteland. He says, they will, uh, they will pollute their own ground until it is run over with parasites and disease. And, and then he says this, the stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient sheep that persists in pursuing its old paths and grazing on its old polluted grounds will end up a bag of bones on ruined land. Now the prophet Isaiah says something very similar in Isaiah 53.6. He says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, what's the result of you turning to your own way? Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, we don't like to hear it, but at a heart level, we are exactly like sheep. We're exactly like sheep. So, Isaiah 53 and Proverbs 14 describes the destructive self-determination of a human being. That we, we have this ability to, to, to claim that we know what's best even when we see the disastrous results, even when those results are, are self-evident. There is this destructive self-determination in a human being. Now, for those of you that have struggled with addiction. I don't need to convince you of this. Because you know what it's like to be addicted to something, drugs or alcohol, and, and you, you can see the disastrous results. Either you see them or somebody tells you them and you agree. But you know what it's like to still press forward on that path of self destruction. Now, here's the deal with addiction. And we talk about alcohol, drugs. Addiction is so much bigger than that because addiction's not about a substance. Addiction's about the human heart. So we can be addicted to anything. We can be addicted to success. We can be addicted to video gaming. We can be addicted to pornography. We can be addicted to people. We can be approval addicts. We can be addicted to social media. Right? The list goes on. Mary Jo Sales, she wrote a book, American Girls, Social Media, and the Secret Lives of Teenagers. In there, she recalls this conversation she had with a teenage girl in a Los Angeles mall. This teenage girl said to her, social media is destroying our lives. And so she replied to this teenager, she said, so why don't you go off of it? Teenager said, seems reasonable, doesn't it? If something's destroying you, let it go, smash it, get rid of it. But then the girl said, because then we would have no life. Now, I'm not raging on social media. I'm giving you an example of anything, anything good in God's created world that has a good to it that can become destructive. When we look to it for happiness, the author who reflected on this conversation, listen to what he said. He said, if I, if I cast this conversation between this woman and this teenage girl in the LA mall in spiritual terms, here's what it would be. My idol, meaning the thing that I'm looking to for happiness, the thing or the person. My idol is destroying me. But if I smash my idol, then I disappear. Why do you need to be led by God? Because left to yourself, and this is every person in this room, whether you're a believer, not a believer yet, this is the condition of the human heart. Left to yourself, you will choose a path that ends in death, either spiritually, physically, emotionally, and you may experience that death, and maybe you have, or near death in an acute way in this life on this earth. And you say, No, I know what that's like. I got very close to death, emotionally, maybe even physically, through my addiction, through whatever it was. You may say, No, I know that. I was on the path to death. Some of you say, Hey, I got a pretty good life. Like, I'm not addicted. I've got a pretty good life. I don't, I don't get that. I'm not on the brink of death. No, well, it's either an acute death that you experience here, but then for everyone left to yourself, you'll experience death apart from God for eternity. Whatever form it is, left to yourself, you will choose death, a path that leads to death, and a path that is apart from God, right, on your own, and that will go into eternity. Now this leads to the second question then. Why do we need to be led by God? Because left to ourselves, we will choose a path that ends in death. So what is the nature of God's leading if we need to be led by God? Notice David says, he, meaning God, leads me in paths of righteousness. Now it's very easy to read this and at a surface level say, oh, I know what that means. He's gonna lead me into good moral paths. This just means that God leads me to be a good moral person and, and to not sin and to do the right things. Now, that's not wrong, but that's not at the center of what David means when he says this. A more helpful translation that will get at the right meaning of what David's talking about here is paths of righteousness Really can be read right paths. So he leads me in right paths. Right now, right paths describes two truths about what about the nature of God's leading. The first is in Luke 15, parable of a lost sheep. Jesus tells it. He says there's a shepherd, has a hundred sheep, one runs off and gets lost, so the shepherd leads leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. Now, what happens when the shepherd finds the one sheep? Luke 15, 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Jesus finishes that parable by saying, what I've just told you, is what it looks like when a person repents. And what, notice what Jesus is saying here. The shepherd doesn't come up to the lost sheep and then just give the sheep some directions. Hey, here's how you get back home. I'm out. Go ahead, get back home. You got the directions. No, he, he picks the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, personally carries it back home. Repentance is not turning from wrong behavior to right behavior. You're doing something wrong. God's word gives you the commands, the directions of the right behavior, and you just go from wrong to right. That's not repentance. That is moralism. Repentance is I am turning from wrong behavior, sin. I'm turning to Jesus. And Jesus, not me, but Jesus gives me the power for new obedience in the right direction. But repentance is turning to Jesus. He, when you turn to him, picks you up, carries you, and moves you in the right direction, In other words, when David says here, he leads me in right paths, at a foundational level, the right path is not a new set of behaviors. The right path is Jesus. Jesus says it in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the path, truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit leads you to Jesus, Jesus picks you up. And he carries you. God's leadership of you is personal. It is by the hand. It is not from afar. It's personal. But the question then becomes, so okay, the Spirit leads me to Jesus. Jesus grabs me by the hand. He carries me. It's personal, but where does he lead me? And this, this takes us to the second truth of God's leading that comes out of this right path interpretation. Where does Jesus lead you? David says that you're led in right paths, not comfortable paths, not easy paths, but right paths. In fact, the next verse in Psalm 23 which we'll get to next week, verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David's next statement is, no, I'm not talking about nice, easy, comfortable paths. talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Oftentimes, a shepherd finds grass and water for his sheep in or near canyons. It's not out in the open field where the water runs off or the sun scorches the grass, It's it's in the canyons where there's shade and there's water. The problem is the canyons are oftentimes a place of danger because other wild animals gather in the same place for the same reason. And so it's a place for hiding, for wild animals that would attack the sheep. The reason that it's the right path is because the shepherd is taking the sheep to the place where there's life-giving water and food even though it may not be comfortable. It's the right path. The word lead, and he leads me in right path, that word lead is the same word that's used in Exodus for the pillar of cloud that led God's people through the wilderness from Egypt to the land he had promised. It was a pillar of cloud constantly before them as if God was literally taking them by the hand and moving them through the desert. And as I've said before, the journey from Egypt to the land God has, had promised, it was flowing with milk and honey, straight line journey, two weeks. Under God's leadership, under God's personal by the hand leadership It took 40 years, 40 years. They circled, they backtracked. It wasn't easy, it wasn't comfortable. It was not the most efficient in human terms, by a long shot, but it was the right path. It was the right path. The word lead here in Psalm 23 same as Exodus, it's also the same word that the prophets pick up and use to describe the anticipated promised leadership of Jesus Christ. So you've got David who, who takes the word from Exodus to use and then you have the prophets that pick it up to describe the leadership of Christ and it's seen beautifully from Isaiah. Isaiah 58, 11 picks this up beautifully. He says, the Lord will guide, that's the same word, lead. The Lord will lead you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Sun-scorched land, the prophet picks up, but this is not comfortable, this is not easy. This isn't beautiful circumstances. But what he picks up is the personal leadership here, fulfilled by Jesus, because that's who Isaiah is speaking of. Jesus leads you in right paths. Jesus leads you in right paths. If you are in Christ, you are on the right path, even if it's difficult in hard, in taxing. Even if you're at that place of faith-shaking darkness, if you're in Christ, you are on the right path. Now, some of them you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You may say, wait, I'm on this path because of my sin. My sin has gotten me into this predicament in this path. Or you might say, hey, I made a really bad decision. It really wasn't a wise decision I made. It was a poor decision. That's why I'm on this path. How can you say I'm on the right path when I got myself in the mess? I can't be on the right path because I made a mess of things. Let me take you back to Israel in the the wilderness. Was Israel's journey in the wilderness extended from two weeks to 40 years because of their sin and rebellion? Yes. Was Israel's journey in the wilderness extended from two weeks to 40 years because they were on the right path being led by God? Yes. You say, how can it be both? you can break God's revealed will, meaning the commandments he lays down in his word on how life is to be lived, i.e. sin. You can break God's revealed will. You can never break his sovereign will. Which means that when you break his revealed will and you turn in repentance to Christ, God forgives you, but He doesn't necessarily remove the consequences. David, King David, experienced that late in his life. And the consequences, which oftentimes equate to hard seasons, difficult seasons, dark seasons, those consequences, are the right path that God is leading you on. He takes you by the hand. He hasn't abandoned you. That's the key here. If you have hard consequences, maybe because of your own sin, maybe not because of your sin, sin of others, who knows? Just because you're in a season of hard or or tough consequences that make life difficult, God hasn't abandoned you. If you're in Christ, he's leading you by the hand. Personally, he is leading you. He hasn't abandoned you. Why can you persevere through the hard seasons of life? Life. First because of God's faithful leading. Now if we stop here, you could say, "Man, it just seems like a pretty harsh sovereign God. I guess he's leading me, but man, this stinks." God's leading, but second, you can persevere because of God's character. Because of his character, he leads me in paths of righteousness or in right paths for his name's sake or for the sake of his name. Now, what's God's name? Well, Moses asked that very question in Exodus 3. God said, Moses, I'm sending you back to get my people and rescue them out of Egypt. And Moses says, hey, all right, when they ask me what your name is, what should I say? God says, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. And then he gives Moses his name, which is Yahweh, which in your Bibles is Lord in all capital letters. He gives him God's name. Now, underline the the meaning of God's name right there in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. Two verses earlier, underline the meaning of his name is God's promise. He says in Exodus 3.12, I will be with you. At the core of God's name, at the core of his promises that undergird and surround his name, that are his character, is a withness. It's a withness. He says, I will be with you. He makes that promise. It's an unbreakable promise. For his name's sake means God's honor, God's reputation is at stake. And God can never break a promise because his nature is one of perfection. So he can never break a promise. But the promise is I will be with you. Now, what's the result of God's unbreakable promise to be with you? The result is this. He never leads you on a path that he hasn't walked himself. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. For what credit is it When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is when, this is describing hard seasons that come to life, not necessarily because of your sin, but just because they come. Hard seasons of life. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When you go through a hard season of adversity, of trial, of difficulty, two things are true. First, Jesus Christ has led you by the hand into that hard season. And number 2, Jesus is leading you on a path that he has already walked. And he's leading you to a place he has already been. The nature of God's leading is comes out of his character. Comes out of his character you didn't stumble into the hard season you're in. You didn't accidentally stumble into it. You weren't abandoned into it. You were called by God, led by Jesus into it. It's personal. It's by the hand leadership. And you are led along a path that Jesus has already walked to a place he's already been in Jesus' sufferings. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton attempted to become the first person to lead a trek across Antarctica. Harrowing journey. I'm gonna give you the cliff notes of it. It is unbelievable harrowing journey. He wasn't successful. Here's what happened. He left in August of 1914, set sail from London, with 27 crew members on the ship Endurance. And they landed on South Georgia Island, which is on the southern, near the southern tip of South America. That would be their launching point to Antarctica. And then in December of 1914, they sailed into the Weddell Sea and were navigating the treacherous waters with the ice, very dangerous. They got Almost there. They were 100 miles out from Antarctica when Shackleton made the fateful decision to stop, to pause, and to let some ice break that they could get through. Temperatures dropped, ice surrounded the boat. They couldn't go any farther. And so they spent the next 10 months on this ship surrounded by ice. And after 10 months, the ice had pressed in so much that it was beginning to crush the ship. So they got off the ship, grabbed the supplies they could, three lifeboats, and began trekking across the ice to find open water. They finally found open water. They get in the lifeboats, and they ended up landing on Elephant Island, a deserted island, and Shackleton realized there is no one here. There is no help. We are not gonna survive here. So he took some of his crew in the lifeboats and headed off trying to find South Georgia Island where they had started. 800 miles through icy waters on a lifeboat. And they finally arrive at South Georgia Island and realize they were on the wrong side of the island. The whaling station was on the other side. And so at that point, I mean, this just goes on. You talk about slow progression of darkness. Here it is. At that point, he takes two of his crew members, and they begin to hike across South Georgia Island, which I guess there were a few inhabitants on the island that said, you're not gonna make it. You can't do it. It's ice, it's cliffs, hurricane winds, blizzards come up. In 36 hours, they actually made it across. Shackleton kept a diary during his journeys, and he, put, he offered this perspective on his journey across South Georgia Island. Here was one of his entries. When I look back at those days, I have no doubt that providence guided us. Providence, just a word for God leading you, right, personally leading you, sovereign, right, in his leadership of you. Not only across those snow fields, but across the storm-strewn sea that separated Elephant Island from our landing place on South Georgia. I know that during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that there were four, not three. I said nothing to my companions on the point, but afterwards, Worsley said to me, Boss, I had a curious feeling on the march that there was another person with us. Very similar to the story of Daniel in the Bible. He gets thrown into the lion's den. The next morning, the king comes to the den to see if somehow Daniel had survived, and he looks in, and there's another person in the lion's den. It's an angel. It's an appearing of Jesus Christ approximately 600 years before he would be born into this world. What hard circumstance, what hard season are you in right now? What is uncomfortable? What is painful? What hurts? What maybe has you at the place of faith-shaking, darkness and despair? Why can you persevere? Because Jesus Christ is leading you in the right path. And he is leading you on a path that he himself has walked. And he's leading you to a place that he has been this hard season won't break you. It may feel like it. It won't break you because Jesus went further on the path without you and he actually went to a place without you. And that is the cross where he died in your place. His unique death on the cross in your place is what has enabled him to come and be with you in your heart season. Psalm seventy three, twenty eight. But as for me, The nearness of God is my good. Do you believe this in the midst of your hard season? That the nearness of God expressed in Jesus Christ coming near to be with you forever, that that is your good. If you're not believing that, what are you believing is your good in the hard season? There is no good outside of the nearness of Jesus Christ. Your joyful perseverance through your hard season depends on you believing deep in the core of your heart that the nearness of Christ is your good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithful leadership in our lives. You have taken us to places we would never have imagined. We would have never planned. We would have never scripted. But we trust that you are leading us by the hand, that you haven't abandoned us, that we haven't stumbled into this. Whatever that this is, that you are leading us. And your leadership is personal, it's by the hand. And Father, you only lead us where you've been. Because you have suffered. You put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. You were rejected. You were mocked. You were slandered. You suffered. And Jesus, we're so grateful that while you lead us on a path where you have been, you went further in our place all the way to the cross to die so that we wouldn't have to. Thank you for that assurance. And thank you that that not only assures us that you're with us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us, but that the path we're on and what you have us in is ultimately good because you're near and you've led us there. Father, help us to believe that the nearness of Christ, not a change in circumstance, not getting out of the hard season, but ultimately the nearness of Christ is our good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.